now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I was always a solitary kid growing up. I grew up on the outskirts of the little town that I grew up in and never really had any friends. I would hang out with someone here and there, but for the most part, I stuck to myself, even in high school. Because of my voluntary solitude, I found time to invest in hobbies like fishing, hunting, and playing cards. I used to always love a game of spades with my parents and little brother. Though I loved all the hobbies I partook in, Hunting was by far and away my favorite. I would hunt all sorts of critters when it was in season, and spent hours just to hunt something. See, the fun part of it wasn't the fact that I just got something, it was the fact that I had outsmarted the animal and beaten it. I now had a trophy to signify my victory, and I thirsted for this sense of victory. Nothing even came close to the euphoria supplied to my brain when I came home with a fresh kill under my belt. I would sometimes spend days out in the wilderness to hunt, and I'd get lost out there, out in nature, with nothing but the sounds of the other creatures that inhabited the woods in which I was choosing to steal life away from. Due to my love for hunting and fishing, I never found time to do much schoolwork. I passed all my classes with at least a C and graduated high school, but further education was not something destined for me. I was convinced hunting was my calling. After high school, I began to hunt not just for pleasure, but for work, too. There was a company close by to my hometown that made deer jerky and was looking for hunters that could deliver them the meat. Of course, I, the self-proclaimed lover of such activities, applied for this position and after a week of waiting got the job. I was to begin as of right then and there. So I grabbed my gear and went out to the woods and set up shop up in the tree stand I had been using for as long as I can remember and began to wait. I must have sat in that stand for hours, because soon the sun was beginning to set. It was summer, though, so I knew I had some time before I was shrouded in darkness. That's when I saw him. A male buck pranced into view all the way on the horizon. I sat there watching it, mesmerized by how it moved. It calmly paced the forest floor, bending over here and there to eat some grass or berries, until finally it came to the creek that I had set my stand up near to. It stood for a moment, looked around, and dropped its head to take a much-needed sip of water. This was it, the moment I had been waiting for. I raised my rifle, knowing I had only one shot, and aimed it directly behind his front shoulder. I took a deep breath. Bang! My shot was perfect. It traveled directly through the buck's heart and got him on the spot. My heart swelled as again I knew I won. All this waiting was not in vain. I nearly flew down the steps to my stand and rushed over to the buck. His eyes were still open. I was glad it was instant so that he wouldn't have to suffer. I picked him up, and soon I was back home. I called the company, 
and soon they had someone come over to my house and pick up my latest kill. I thanked the man as he left and shut my door, feeling prouder than ever. I knew that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. A few years passed and I continued doing what I loved, and eventually I received enough money from hunting that I moved away from my hometown and moved to West Virginia, as I heard that the hunting there was great. I wanted to live out in the backcountry, as I wanted to be able to hunt all the time, and I found a place where I could do just that. There was an old cabin not too expensive that sat right in the woods, not too far away from a town, maybe a 15 or 20 minute drive so not completely isolated, but the town it's close to is not exactly bustling so it's not urban either. I liked it very much and made a couple of friends in town. Most liked hunting but only one ever wanted to come with me to hunt. His name is Brian. Brian's a good guy and a young one too. He's just about my age, give or take a few years older, but we get along well, and we've gone hunting multiple times. The only difference between us is that he's got a full family, wife, kids, the works. Even has a golden retriever. He's a lucky guy, I'll tell you what. Good shot too. Glad he's my partner. I had set up my tree stand maybe a week after buying the cabin out in the woods, and maybe a month after that is when Brian and I first went hunting together. We sat up in that stand for hours, waiting for something to turn up. Eventually, a doe showed up, and we did our thing and carried her back to my cabin. At this point, I had learned enough about the making of jerky to know how to do it myself, and with the help of Brian, we skinned the doe and began making jerky and venison steaks. That was a good night. We would go hunting maybe once or twice every two weeks, but I would go hunting almost every night. At this point, I had found another company somewhat close by, maybe an hour away, that again needed hunters to gather meat and send it into them, so once again I applied and got the job. Everything seemed to be going well. I was good at my job, and it paid well. Because I was up in that tree stand for so long, almost every night, I knew just about every sound in the woods, from the elk yells, to mountain lion screams, to foxes and coyotes. You give me a noise out in those woods, I could tell you exactly what animal it was, and sometimes which gender it was. That's what made this certain night so different. As usual, I was up in my stand, and I heard a scream. I played it off like it was nothing, because it probably was nothing. Except this scream was different. It sounded similar to something I'd heard before, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Brian was with me, and he couldn't figure it out either. Usually we don't really care about these noises, as it's not exactly our business to worry about every little sound we hear in the woods at night. However, this noise was just... wrong. Something was not right with this scream, and after a good ten minutes of sitting through it, and thinking through every animal it could be, Brian and I decided that we would go check it out. After all, we were armed and both good shots, and if it was a mountain lion, we figured it would run away if it heard us coming. We got down from the stand and began our walk towards the direction of the scream. After a minute or two, we could tell we were getting closer because the noise was getting louder. It seemed almost echoing through the trees, and I won't lie when I say it freaked us both out a little. However, we trudged onward and eventually, after another minute of hiking, we stumbled upon a clearing where we saw what the noise was emanating from. It was a huge elk, standing in the middle of the clearing just screaming out into the night. 
We looked at each other, and through the relieved look on Brian's face, I could tell he still shared the same uneasiness that I was feeling. We turned to look at the huge elk, still wailing and deciding to let it be, and walked all the way back to the stand. After some back and forth, we decided it would be in our best interest to call it a night and just go home. When we hunted at night, Brian usually stayed in the guest room in my cabin, as it was usually late when we got done, two or three in the morning, and he didn't want to wake his children or wife up coming home. So he crashed at my place. However, even though we were far away now from the elk, it seemed as though it had followed us and was just as loud as ever. This freaked us both out a little bit, but we figured if we went to sleep, it would all be over in the morning. So we did, but it wasn't the ending. When we woke up, the scream had disappeared. We were relieved, and Brian said his goodbye and left for his home. I did my normal routine, went into town, and waited until dusk before going back out into the woods and into my stand. I was still a tad bit unnerved from last night, but I figured this would help me get my mind off of it, and it did, until around midnight when I heard a scream again. This time, however, the scream really sounded wrong, like really wrong. I could tell this was not the same scream from last night, but it again was not an animal I could put my finger on. I hoped and prayed it would go away, but it didn't. The screaming persisted and persisted until I couldn't take it anymore. I had to find out what the hell was screaming in the dead of night. I set out in the same direction as last night, expecting for the worst to be awaiting me. I trudged and trudged through the underbrush, until finally I reached the clearing from the night prior, where the scream had reached its peak. What I saw, however, shook me to my core. There was no elk this time, like I had expected, no. There was a figure standing in the middle of the clearing, facing away from me. I froze, unable to comprehend what I was witnessing. This thing was massive, at least eight feet tall, and I couldn't tell if it was human or something else. I'll admit it, I was terrified. I had never seen something like this before, and I was ready to book it away from there. I didn't want whatever this thing was to see me, though, so I backpedaled as slowly as I could, staring at this thing for as long as it was in view. As soon as it was just on the horizon, it stopped screaming. Again I froze. Why'd it stop? I wondered. I stood there in the trees, dumbfounded, staring at this eight-foot-tall creature that had just been wailing in the middle of the woods. I realized now what a fatal mistake I had made by not running home as soon as I saw this thing. As I stood there, this thing turned around, and my body was struck with fear. Though I was at least 300 yards away from this thing, it stared directly at me, and I knew it knew I was there. Its yellow eyes pierced daggers into my heart as it got down on all fours and began wailing once more, starting to gallop toward me. I stood there frozen for another moment before booking it. I knew all the shortcuts to my house, and I took them all, knowing I may not have much time left. I sprinted faster than I have ever sprinted, hearing its echoing cries in the distance, its growing intensity only proving I was going too slow. As the sound grew louder than ever, I saw my house. I fumbled with my keys to get to the one that opened my front door, and as I reached the porch, I found it. I unlocked the door and shut it as soon as I reached it. The cries were right outside, and I knew whatever this thing was, it was on my porch, searching for a way to get inside. Terrified, I hid in my freezer, where I hoped the smell of meat and ice would help mask my scent to the being. This is where I've been hiding for the last two hours. The creature has now found its way inside my house, 
and I can hear it moving around upstairs, tracking any signs of me. I am in the basement and in the cooler, so hopefully it won't find me in here. I tried texting Brian to get over to my place, but my messages haven't been going through, and given it's three in the morning, I doubt he'd see them anyways. I have no idea if this thing will go away in the morning, but right now it's my only hope that I have. If it doesn't, then it will find me eventually, and who knows what it will do then. If you're seeing this, please, I'm begging you, please heed my advice. If you hear screaming in the middle of the woods at night, do not investigate. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm house-sitting in a rather rural area, mostly wooded with a few houses here and there, close enough to see, but far enough away to be private. I've been here for about a month, and since the owners have two adorable golden retrievers, I have to walk them pretty regularly, so I've been getting to know the walking paths around here pretty well. Earlier this evening, against my better judgment, damn this 95 degree heat this late in the evening, I decided it would probably be best to take the dogs for a quick walk before I locked myself in for the evening, so I leashed them up and headed out. We walked around for about 30 minutes before I decided to call it, and sweating profusely, I turned us around. As we hit the pavement from the dirt path we were on, I could swear I heard someone whistle at me, not like in a catcalling kind of way, but like someone trying to get my attention or something. The dogs perked up and all three of us began looking around for the source, but I saw nothing. There was nobody around. At first I wasn't too concerned. Honestly, that could have been anything. Some kids playing in a distant yard. Yeah, maybe. Is someone whistling for their own dog? Perhaps. But I hadn't seen anyone or anything out here the entire time we'd been out walking. Maybe it was a coyote. There's plenty of those guys out here. But then again, we didn't see a thing. So I decided, screw it, it's probably nothing, and proceeded walking. But here's where things got weird. There's a long stretch of wooded but oddly fenced-in area we have to walk through to get back to the house. Right as we round the corner to this stretch, I hear the whistle again. Only this time it's louder than before and it's behind us. The dogs perk up again and this time we whip around to see what's behind us. But again, there's nothing. Nobody. Not a soul to speak of. And other than that whistle, it's dead quiet, except for the breeze. Now I read a story on here a few years back about the whistling man, and with that image in my head, it became a little more concerning. I bring my pocket knife with me every time we take a walk because you can never be too safe so I just tightened my grip on it and tried to quicken our pace. But at this point, the dogs were more distracted looking around for the source of the whistle than they were concerned with me trying to hurry them home. And after about 15 feet, we hear it again, and again, and again, louder, and following us as we move along the fence line. It's coming from across the street, behind the other fenced-in area. And now it's pretty undeniable that someone is following us, or at the very least trying to mess with us. The dogs now have their full attention turned in that direction, and they're barking like crazy while I try to gain control, and once again try to quicken our pace home. 
This time, the dogs don't really fight me, and we begin to quickly make our way back toward the house. And the entire time I could hear whoever it was on the other side of that fence, whistling at us as we walked. The odd thing, though, is that I couldn't hear any footsteps. There should have been footsteps. Leaves crackling, twigs breaking, grass moving, something. But there wasn't. So when we finally reached the crossroads toward the house and off of that stretch of road, I was pretty damn relieved. Finally, we made it home. The dogs drank a bunch of water, and I went upstairs to play some GTA. After an hour and a half or so of some intense business battles, I'm a menace. I hear the dogs begin to bark at something out the front window. Normally this wouldn't be too concerning either considering there is a lot of wildlife around here. Raccoons, squirrels, stray cats, etc. But after my experience walking them earlier, let's just say this put me a little more than on edge. So I whip off my headset, grab my knife, and walk down the hallway to the stairs overlooking the living room. All of the lights in the house are off, which was a total mistake, and the dogs are standing at the window fixated on something out front. Being the ninja I am, I use the darkness to creep down the stairs and over to the side of the window, hopefully unseen, to take a look outside. Scanning the field out front, there's nothing. Of course, there's nothing. That's not creepy at all. So I hurriedly flick on the front porch lights as well as the back deck lights and head back upstairs. After another half hour or so of playing video games, I decided it was probably about time to finish the bowl I had started earlier in the evening and headed back downstairs to get a quick smoke sesh in. The evening was pretty peaceful, all things considered. The air was finally cooling a little bit, some clouds had rolled in, and I could hear birds chirping all throughout the grove in front of me. As I smoked, I watched the lightning storm over the trees in the distance. One of the dogs had joined me on the deck and was chilling at my feet as I sucked down the last of the smoke in my bubbler. All in all, the evening had finally chilled out and I was feeling a little more at ease. That was until I thought I heard a faint whistle from the forest in front of us. The dog perked up again, and all of a sudden my mood shifted. My hair began to raise, and I was covered in goosebumps. The temp had cooled off a little bit, but not enough to cause that kind of reaction. Again we heard the whistle. The dog stood up and began to growl, staring off into the distance. I followed her gaze, and straining to see through the darkness, I carefully scanned the horizon searching for the source of the sound. Suddenly, I caught the dark shape of a person standing at the edge of the woods, motionless. As I tried to gain a better look at the figure, it vanished. We're talking into thin air. One minute it was there, the next it wasn't. The sound was though. In fact, it had become far more persistent than before. And as the whistling continued, it began to sound more... I'm not sure what the right word is. Frantic, but also twisted somehow? I could trace it as it moved. It sounded like it was shifting back and forth impossibly fast across the expanse of woods in front of us, echoing throughout the surrounding area. At this point, I had had enough. I quickly ushered the dog back into the house and locked the door, and began making my rounds around the house, assuring every door and window in the place was secure. I've since locked myself and the dogs inside the bedroom, but I can still hear the whistling outside. It's gotten closer, a lot closer, and it sounds just as hysterical as before, but also more garbled. I'm not sure how to describe it exactly, but here's the problem I'm having. The house has no AC, 
so closing and locking every door and window made it insufferably hot in here. My only source of cool air is this big-ass, loud-ass AC unit that the owners bought for the room I'm staying in. It's one of those ones where you stick the hose in the window, and it sucks the air in and blows cold air into the room. But, I'm trying to keep as low of a profile as possible. All the lights in the house are off still, and I'd prefer it if whoever or whatever is currently outside didn't know my exact location inside the house. I've grabbed my gun and loaded the clip with the max amount of bullets, you know, for safety, and I'm currently sweating my ass off inside this second-story bedroom with two hot, panting dogs. I have both windows open, so the slight breeze coming through helps a little, but I can still hear whatever it is outside, whistling away, if you can even call it that at this point, and now it's walking around the perimeter of the house. I can hear its footsteps shuffling around below my bedroom window. The dogs seem rather concerned as well, but at least they're remaining pretty quiet overall. I'm not looking outside. I'm sort of afraid of what will happen if I do. So I guess I'll chill here, gun in hand, and, uh, if I survive the night, I'll post an update. Tell you what, though, ever since I read that story about the whistling man, it stuck with me. Something about it really got under my skin, and now, somehow I'm living it. Maybe there's something to be said about that. Fate, or manifestation, or something. I don't know. But I can tell you from experience, if you ever hear someone whistling at you, take it seriously. Maybe it's nothing, but the world is a crazy place, and it's always best to be safe over sorry. Pray for me. This is an update to my post from last night. Well, I survived the night, albeit sweaty as hell. The whistling lasted for a very long time last night. Like I said, I could hear whatever it was creeping around outside my bedroom window. As it walked, it would whistle the same two-note pattern over and over again in quick succession. I would hear it fade away as it rounded the house, and get louder again as it would pass under my bedroom windows. I'm not sure how long this went on for, and I don't know how I managed it, but somehow, I was able to fall asleep. And when I woke up this morning, the dogs were more than ready to get outside. After exiting the bedroom, I did one more pass around the house just checking inside and out to make sure it was all clear before letting the dogs into the backyard again. Once I felt good about it, I slid the doggy door cover out, and the dogs happily sprinted outside. While they did their thing, I grabbed my monster, orange dreamsicle flavor, highly recommend if you haven't tried it, and began my daily duties around the house, just watering the indoor plants and such. When I went to feed the dogs their breakfast, I found the container used to hold their food empty because I'm lazy, so I walked to the basement to refill it. I say basement, but it's not really that. It's more like halfway beneath ground level. Looking out the windows down there, the ground is about chest high. As I walked down to refill their food, I noticed something strange. What looked like an unnaturally large, dirty handprint on one of the basement windows. It looked as if someone with huge fingers knelt down and was looking through the window last night. Screw. That. So I quickly grab the dog's food and walk back upstairs. At this point I decide I should probably do a full check of the exterior of the house, and I need to check the mail anyway, so I grab my gun and take my first steps out the front door. And all seems normal, if not a little bit eerie. The morning is overcast and sprinkling with some distant thunder, which just makes the whole situation feel so much spookier. It's like I'm in a horror movie or something. So I begin making my around the house, 
Scanning the field out front, I see nothing. All seems ordinary. Rounding the corner to the right, I see the basement window with the handprint on it. Looking at it in the daylight, it looks a little more red in color than it did from inside. I'm not sure if that should concern me or not. I continue to the backyard, passing around the back deck. Nothing. I do a quick scan of the tree line where I saw the figure last night, but all seems normal. I round the next corner under my bedroom, and again, nothing. I'm not really sure what I expected. Finally, I round the house to the front again. The only thing off around here is that damn handprint. And that's pretty freaky, but nothing to lose my crap over, quite frankly. So, other than that handprint, feeling better about my situation, it being morning and all, I finally made my way down the long driveway toward the mailbox. But as I moved closer, I noticed something else. There was a small pitch black mass at the end of the driveway. Getting closer, I could finally see what I was looking at. It's a dead crow. Its neck is twisted and broken. It's splayed out perfectly with its wings outstretched to either side, and it's missing both of its feet. I wouldn't normally be too concerned with this either, considering all the nature out here. But with the handprint on the window and last night's whole whistling fiasco, I'm more than a little freaked out. Someone or something clearly left this out here for me to find. I've called to let the owners know what's happening, but from the comfort of their cruise ship suite, they really didn't seem too worried about it all. I'm sort of debating calling the police at this point, but I'm not sure the situation is that serious yet. Also, the last thing I want to do is mess with the cops in any capacity, so, you know, I think I'll wait it out another night and see what happens. I have the dogs ready to fight, I have my knife, and I have my Glock. I think I can handle one more night of whatever this bullcrap is. And hey, if something more serious happens, I'll make an executive decision and get the 5-0 involved. But until then, I'm going to wait it out. I used to love the rain. I could sit outside for hours in a rain jacket in the middle of the woods, listening, watching, taking in the smell of it. It wouldn't matter if I was cold, and I almost never got sick. The sound of light rain on my jacket as it pattered, or the thunderous downpour of heavy rain. Either way, it set me in a trance the more I listened. My wife Olivia was always sad on these days. She just never understood how I appreciated such a thing. She would watch me from the window sometimes, and there I'd be, sitting and not moving in the middle of a storm. It was peaceful to me. It was very important to me. The rain would help me disassociate from my depressing life. I had no reason to be depressed. I just always seemed to be so. I had everything I could ever want. A house, a decent paying job, a loving wife, and a healthy baby boy. But I just could never shake the sadness. But the rain helped me. It helped me forget, even just for a bit. One day I was watching the weather channel and saw it was calling for heavy rain. I instantly became excited. As the rain approached, my wife just sighed as I eagerly put on my rain jacket and boots. She held my son, watching me from the window as I ran outside to go to my favorite rain-listening spot, which was only about a 20-minute hike from my house. It was deeper in the woods than my other spots. It was a spot in the woods where trees just didn't seem to grow and formed an almost perfect circle of grass. There were trees all around, sure, but in this particular spot, only grass was present. It was a spot that felt too good to be true. I would sit in the center, 
listened to the wind lush through the trees as the approaching storm rolled in. I don't know if you've ever heard rain starting when it first begins to fall. If it rains heavily, you hear it pouring in the distance loudly and approaching fast, the water rushing down and closer and closer with each passing second, until finally it's upon you. Then it turns into a soundtrack of rushing water for minutes to up to hours. I love the rainstorms that last several hours if you couldn't guess already. So there I was, sitting cross-legged in the middle of heavy rain, breathing in and exhaling slowly. I could see my breath when I opened my eyes, but I mostly kept them shut to take in all the sounds. It's almost as if all the wildlife was put on pause. No birds chirping, no squirrels rustling in the sticks, nothing. I was in a trance for what felt like forever, but in reality, was probably only 15 minutes. That's when I heard it. It was quiet and distant. A howling like I've never heard before from any other animal deep in the woods. It was starting to get dark, but it was still raining and I knew my way back fairly well, so I decided to stay and continue to listen. Five minutes later I heard the howl again, this time much closer. Whatever it was, it was moving fast. Although it didn't sound like wolves or a coyote, I still chose to ignore it. Another five minutes passed. It howled again. This time it was very loud. A chill went up my spine and my eyes shot wide open. Before I could comprehend what was happening, I realized it was getting dark. Really dark. The howling became more frequent now. I could sense something was approaching and for some reason I felt it knew exactly where I was. A flash silhouette ran across a few trees in my peripheral vision. I whipped my head to the right and squinted my eyes, thinking that would make a difference as I started into the cold, wet, dark woods. It looked to be a large, hairy beast running upright from what I could tell. That's all I saw. That's all I heard from there on out. I decided it was time to head home, whether it was still raining or not. I wanted to see my family. As I hurried on the trail back home, I heard it again. Distant howling, but just once. This time it seemed to be in front of me, towards my home. I started to sprint home, going mad with the thought that my family may be in danger. I must have made the 20-minute hike in five minutes. I was running so fast. I finally make it home and see the door wide open. Honey! I yell in pure panic. No response. Olivia, where are you two? I followed a trail of wet, soaking footprints to the bedroom. There I collapse to my knees in pure distraught as I look upon my mangled wife, staring back at me barely alive. Where's Nick? Where's our son? I managed to spit up. She replied, It... it came with the rain. Those were my wife's last words before she passed. Now every time it rains I go looking into the woods for that thing. I listen for the howling. I search for my son. For your own safety, do not talk to the man on the corner of the street. Do not listen to what he mutters. Do not take what he offers. And whatever you do, do not make eye contact with him. It all started a long while ago when I left my home a few days ago to go to work. I locked my door and made my way down the stairs and out of the building into the dirty air and constant honking of the street I lived on. I had not gone more than a few steps when I saw him, the blind man on the corner. He had been there for as long as I can remember, and in the same clothes too, a tattered brown shirt, tattered black pants, a pair of old black sunglasses, and a shawl that might have been white at one point in time but now was stained beyond recognition with all kinds of things. He had nothing of his own except the tattered clothes on his back and a small hat that he always kept in front of him. 
Nobody paid any attention to him or even dropped a few coins into his hat. But that was the strange part. He was not a beggar, at least not in the usual sense of the word. In all the time that I had seen him, he had never begged for money or tried to do anything to earn. He just sat there next to the bus stop looking down and occasionally rocking back and forth. I wondered a few times why he didn't just sit inside the shade of the bus stop, but the thought disappeared as fast as it appeared. He often mumbled and muttered, but only to himself. He was always in that same intersection between the roads of my street and the neighboring one. It didn't matter if it was summer or winter, you could always find him there, even at the most unusual times. He never wore his hat on his head, and he never kept his head up or looked anywhere but down. I was waiting for the bus lost in my own thoughts when I noticed him muttering and mumbling away, as was his routine. I called out to him, Kai, why don't you come and sit in the shade? It's very hot outside, nah? He stopped rocking and mumbling, slowly raised his head, and looked at me. When he did, I realized that it was the first time that I had seen his face in its entirety. It was unexpected, to say the least. Not shocking or scary, but seeing his face gave me an uneasy feeling in my stomach. He slowly removed his glasses, revealing blank eyes that shifted to look at me. And in the second that followed, I felt as if he was staring into my soul despite the fact that he was blind. Just then, the honk of the bus brought me back to my senses. When I turned back to him, the man on the corner was back to looking down, mumbling and rocking back and forth. Given the impatient nature of the bus drivers that passed through, I didn't have much time to think about what had just happened, so I just hopped on the bus and started going through my notes for a presentation I had that day. The day went without any problems at the office. Another day, another piece of my mind eaten away by parasitic boredom, Another set of hours logged in for overtime in the hopes of a bonus that hovered over us like the fruits of Tantalus. It was nearly one in the morning by the time I got back to my building, but luckily it was a Friday, so I had stopped on the way to get some food from a late-night restaurant that I frequented. I saw Blind Kai just sitting there in his usual spot and mumbling away. Despite my overtime, I was in a good mood, so I decided to give him some of the food I had with me. I set the parcel beside him and said, Kai, I brought some food for you. I had long forgotten what had happened in the morning and had dismissed it as an overreaction on my side, but when he looked at me, the uneasy feeling in my stomach surfaced once again. Illuminated by the streetlight he was under, Kai's hollowed face looked even weirder than it had in the morning. It looked as if his face was a thin mask, stretched and sewn over a skull with tufts of hair wherever faults in the mask had appeared. He did not utter a word, nor did he even consider the food I had placed beside him. He just stared at me without blinking. After what felt like an hour, he took out a small object wrapped in some wrinkled old paper from the torn pocket of his shirt, scribbled something on it with a stubby pencil he took from his pants pocket, and then held it up to me as if waiting for me to take it. I took the tiny package from his hands and tried to read what it was under the dullish light of the streetlight. It was simple enough, a few words that I really couldn't make out unless I had proper light. When I looked up to ask Kai what all this meant, he was gone, and the world was quiet. There's silence, and then there's dead silence, but this silence was like a corpse that had rotted so thoroughly that only the imprints of where its bones once lay remained. No vehicle horns beeping, no generators humming, no birds chirping, no dogs barking, nothing not even the faintest noise from the slight breeze that was just blowing. 
I looked around me to see where he had vanished, but I couldn't find him anywhere. In fact, it was as if all life had disappeared with him, and the earth was holding its breath in anticipation of what would happen next. I walked up and down my street to try and find someone, but to no avail. The silence in the air was so loud, I felt like my own voice was being drowned by it. The same with the streets next to mine. I wanted to call my friend, but the battery dropped from one to zero and switched off just as I opened the phone app. I swore at myself for not having the foresight to charge my phone a little more at the office. Not knowing what else to do, I started walking home. Picking up the parcel I tried to give Kai, I made my way to my apartment and sat at my table to have my sad dinner. Funnily enough, the electricity still worked, so I plugged in my phone and waited. In the meantime, I decided to look at what Kai handed me. It was much easier to read the note under the table light than the street light outside. It just said, open at home. That being done, I started to unwrap the paper from around the object that was packed into it. A small, dense, cube-like rock with some inscriptions on it that looked very, very old. Before I could turn to the unwrapped paper, I pressed a panel built into the rock by accident. I heard a faint click and I felt a sharp pain in my palm. Blood started flowing from my hand as soon as I pulled the rock away from it, revealing a sharp blade that had pierced into my palm and through the back of my hand. I tried to stop the bleeding, but I couldn't find anything in reach. My landlord will charge me extra if I stain the table. Was the first thing that went through my mind. I laughed despite the pain, and that helped me a bit. With little choice, I grabbed the semi-dirty paper that the rock was in and mopped up the blood on the table. I thought the paper would fall to bits after absorbing that much blood, but it stayed intact. I washed my hands and wrapped bandages around it before collapsing in bed, tired from the office hours and my blood loss. The next day I woke up and heard the birds chirping and the vehicle horns blaring away as usual. Just a nightmare, I told myself, looking at my uninjured palm and barely recalling the previous night's events through half-shut eyes. I was walking into my living room when I tripped over something hard. Looking down, I saw the same rock, now a dark maroon color. My heart started beating faster as I reached for it. It was real. It was real, and it was covered in blood. My blood. I panicked and checked the table to see if the bloodied paper was still there or not. It was, but it wasn't bloodied at all. In fact, it looked as if my blood was absorbed into the paper and condensed into a phrase written on it in a crude cursive. I grabbed it and rushed into the bedroom to get my glasses so that I could read what it said. I crossed my fingers and hoped that it was somehow just an elaborate prank being pulled on me by some TV show. I half expected a camera crew to pop out from outside my window with a gotcha sign and a check for a ridiculous amount of money to compensate for my troubles. My freedom comes from your imprisonment. I am sorry that my curse is now yours. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. A tired old man. The red of the font was almost black from the concentration of my blood in it. I read it and reread it maybe fifty times. Nothing else written on the paper on either side of it. There was no explanation or consolation, only an apology written in my blood that seemingly passed on a curse to me. In my confusion and panic, I ran out of my apartment in my pajamas and ran down the stairs without bothering to lock the door. I knew I would find Blind Kai at the corner like I had every day for the longest time. He had to have answers. He had to. What else could I do? I knew nothing apart from that note about an exchange or transfer of some sorts. 
I had to find Kai at any cost. I blindly rushed onto the street, realizing at the last second that I would probably be run over by a car or bus, and that's when I noticed it. The silence, deep and profound. It was like the one I experienced yesterday, but it was more numbing and tranquil than that one. It was like the silence had accepted me as its own. The world was empty like last night, but this time it was more peaceful. I went over to Blind Kai's spot next to the bus stop to see if he was there. As I approached it, I saw that the spot was empty. No Kai, no information, no revelation. Even though I knew I wouldn't find him there, I went ahead and looked around his spot hoping to find something. I saw a small chunk missing from the ground that looked like it could hold a small cube, like the one in my apartment. So I went back, scavenged through the living room to find where I had thrown it, brought it back, taking a lot of care to not stab myself again, and put it in the hole in the ground. Nothing. Once again, I had hit a dead end. But hope was not fully lost. There was one thing that I had been putting off to prevent harm to myself, but then seemed as good a time as any to test it. I carefully removed the cube and put it panel side down, then pushed it down with my hand. I heard the click once again, and I felt the blade stab through the back of my hand again. Winching in pain, I persevered and pressed down again. I heard another faint click and the blade retracted. The blood on the ground near the cube was gone. The side of the cube had popped up revealing a chit of very old paper inside. Unfolding it revealed another note from someone which, oddly enough, had a poem written on the inside. I knew it was not Kai because his handwriting was different on the first paper, and I thought it was much older than Kai himself because the paper looked and felt like old papyrus like the Egyptians used to make. A marked palm first to serve you a reminder. Changed eyes next that see only the Savior. Time binds your life here till you find another. Pass on the mark and fade away. The poem was not written in English or any language I could recognize, but I could understand it clearly. I rubbed my eyes in disbelief. What was going on? What did all of this mean? Before I could set off home to try and call someone, my hand started burning. Imagine the worst pain you can, and now multiply that by a thousand. That was the pain I experienced, and I'm not ashamed to say that I passed out from the pain. When I came to, there was a strange symbol on my palm, a circle made with two arrows that looped into one another. The marked palm. I ran back home and tried to burn the paper. Maybe that would free me from whatever horrible fate befell me. I don't think Kai had the mark on his palm, but then again I didn't exactly examine him too closely. The paper remained intact, and my panic only grew. If the poem was correct, my eyes would change next. I was going to become blind like Kai till I could find someone to free me. For how long? I don't think even Kai himself would be able to tell me that. I don't think he was the first one or even one of the earlier ones to be affected. The irony I could clearly see was that only time would tell how much time I had to wait. I slept in my bed awaiting the eventual blindness that came, but it never did. Neither sleep nor blindness. I've had a lot of time to reflect on what happened that day, and I can say a few things for sure. The blindness is not dark. You cannot see the people, and they cannot see you. You can only see the next person to pass on the curse to, and they are the only ones who can see you. What comes after I pass it? I don't know. I don't know if I want to know. It has been a long time since that day. How long? I don't know that either. My time passes in a constant state of dusk, so I do not know if it is day or night, much less how much time has passed. 
I said this was all a few days, but a few decades could have passed by. Maybe even a century or two. In fact, I don't even know if humans exist anymore. I have nothing left in my life except waiting. My clothes have tattered. My bones have weakened. I have not heard my voice in a long time, and yet I still live. Is it life? I don't know. And so I wait until that inevitable day. All I have left to say is this. For your own safety, do not talk to me. Do not listen to what I mutter. Do not take what I offer. And whatever you do, do not make eye contact with me. As an adult, I had almost forgotten the wild, uninhibited joy of my teenage years, the explorations with my best friend Robert, and the countless days we spent at Forest Glen National Park. Life had become a dizzying whirlwind of work, responsibilities, and adult commitments. A forgotten memory resurfaced, though, one quiet afternoon when an old picture fell out of a dusty photo album, transporting me back to those heady days of carefree exploration. It was an old, slightly faded picture of Robert and me, standing against the backdrop of the sprawling forest. We were sixteen, grinning ear to ear, sweat-soaked t-shirts clinging to our lanky bodies, dirt smeared on our sunburnt faces. We were at our happiest in the heart of nature, and Forest Glen National Park was our escape. I held the picture and felt a deep yearning, a longing for the simplicity and excitement of those days. A wild idea took root in my mind. I wanted to revisit the park, breathe the forest air, and traverse the trail that had been our favorite haunt. Robert, living a couple of states away, was just a phone call away. He answered on the second ring, sounding distant yet familiar. When I proposed the idea, there was a silence on the other end, followed by a hearty laughter that rang out, echoing the same boyish enthusiasm we used to share. He agreed, sounding as excited as I was to relive our adventures. The day of the visit arrived faster than I anticipated, I could hardly contain my excitement as I started my drive towards the park early in the morning. The sun was just beginning to peek out from the horizon, casting long shadows on the road ahead. I reminisced about our countless adventures as I drove. I remembered the day we discovered a family of deer, the time we got caught in a sudden downpour, the day we chanced upon the beautiful hidden waterfall, and most vividly, our last visit when we discovered a rickety wooden bridge deep within the forest. It was there we'd promised each other that no matter where life took us, we'd revisit this place and walk on the bridge again. A promise long forgotten, tucked away in the recesses of time, only to be remembered now. The entrance to the Forest Glen National Park came into view. As I parked my car, I could feel my heart pounding with anticipation. I looked around for Robert's car, but it was nowhere to be found. Maybe he was running late. I thought, reassuring myself. I pulled out my phone, but the lack of cell reception brought an unexpected stillness. I decided to wait for him near the trail's entrance, stretching my legs and looking around at the familiar surroundings that were steeped in memories of our teenage years. The calm anticipation slowly turned into impatience. Robert was still not there. Despite myself, curiosity began to push its way into my consciousness. I decided to take a few steps into the trail drawn by a sense of nostalgia and an odd apprehension. But I wasn't prepared for the eerie silence that seemed to have cloaked the park or the unusually overgrown path. With a deep breath, I turned back to continue my wait for Robert. Unbeknownst to me, the park held more surprises than I could have ever imagined. Time continued to slip through my fingers like sand, 
each passing minute highlighting Robert's absence more conspicuously. He was never late, not even back when we were irresponsible teenagers. The harsh midday sun danced playfully off the park's entrance sign, providing a stark contrast to the growing sense of unease within me. After what felt like an eternity, I finally noticed a car pulling up. Expecting to see Robert's familiar grin, my heart sank as an unfamiliar face emerged. He introduced himself as Officer Daniels, from the local sheriff's department. I felt a chill run down my spine. Something was terribly wrong. Officer Daniels, with his somber expression and hesitant tone, relayed the news. Robert had been in a car accident. He was fine, just slightly injured, but wouldn't be able to make it to our planned reunion. The gravity of the news hit me like a ton of bricks. Images of our shared childhood, our adventures, our promises all flooded back, now tinged with a sense of deep concern for my friend. I thanked Officer Daniels, who left after reassuring me that Robert was in good hands. His car pulled away, leaving me alone once again in the embrace of the park. A torrent of emotions swirled within me, worry for Robert, disappointment at our reunion's sudden derailment, and a weird sense of solitude enveloping me. I was now in Forest Glen alone, standing at the threshold of a place that held memories of two adventurous souls, not just one. Rather than heading back, a strange impulse urged me to venture into the park. I felt that the forest, a silent witness to our shared history, held a part of Robert I needed to connect with, especially now. As I started down the familiar path, I couldn't shake off a sense of trepidation, as if the forest itself was holding its breath, anticipating my lone journey. The deeper I went into the forest, the more vivid my memories became. The rustle of leaves underfoot and the chirping of birds transported me back in time. It was as if Robert was beside me, our laughter echoing through the trees. The serene beauty of the park was overshadowed, however, by a gnawing feeling that something was off. The winding path seemed narrower, the forest denser, and the silence more pronounced. The once familiar trail felt different, alien even. Eventually I reached the old wooden bridge we had discovered years ago. The sight of it, worn and weather-beaten, yet standing defiantly against the test of time, stirred a powerful mix of nostalgia and sadness within me. I approached the bridge hesitantly, the wood creaking under my weight, an eerie reminder of its age and fragility. I stood there at the center, gazing into the creek below, lost in thoughts of our younger selves. We were supposed to cross this bridge together, just like we had navigated the adventures of our youth. Now, however, I stood there alone, a solitary figure against the setting sun. As I turned to leave, a strange carving on the handrail caught my eye, an odd symbol, one that wasn't there during our teenage years. A sense of foreboding washed over me as I traced the unfamiliar mark. Something was not right. Little did I know then, my adventure was just beginning. The peculiar symbol carved into the bridge's handrail was nothing I recognized from our time spent here. Its sharp lines and unnerving symmetry were clearly not the result of weathering or time's wear. It was deliberate, a message or perhaps a sign, but from whom and for what? I pondered over the mystery of the symbol, my mind drifting back to the tales Robert and I had spun as children. Tales of hidden treasures, ancient civilizations, and mythical creatures lurking in the shadows of Forest Glen. They were stories designed to stoke the embers of our adventurous spirits. Narratives we knew were rooted in make-believe, or so I thought. The gnawing sensation of something being amiss intensified. 
I decided to return to the town to dig up information on this symbol and whether anyone else had noticed changes in the park. As I exited Forest Glen, a gust of wind seemed to breathe life into the trees, their rustling leaves whispering secrets that I was yet to uncover. The next day, I found myself at the town's library, scanning through old records and maps of Forest Glen. Hours turned into a seemingly unending search. The librarian, Mrs. Dawson, a friendly elderly woman whom Robert and I used to trouble with our incessant questions, offered her help. We dug deeper into the park's history, scrutinizing every detail that could give us a clue. In one of the oldest town registers, a symbol identical to the one I had seen was marked alongside a notation dated back to the early 19th century. It was referred to as the Guardian Seal, associated with a group of early settlers who were believed to protect a great secret within the forest. The discovery sent a jolt of excitement through me. What we considered childhood fantasies were now intertwined with the town's historical records. I left the library with a renewed sense of purpose, my mind whirling with questions. Was our make-believe adventure rooted in truth? And if so, why was I being drawn into it now? I spent the evening sitting on the porch of the motel I was staying at, the sun's setting glow casting long shadows. The symbol, the guardian seal, was now etched in my mind. It was as if the symbol was a key, a key to a door that was slowly opening, revealing shadows of forgotten tales and secrets long buried. That night I was plagued by dreams, vivid fragments of our adventures, our narratives blended with reality. I saw the symbol glowing, the old wooden bridge crumbling, and in the distance, a shadowy figure standing at the edge of the forest, watching me. I woke up drenched in sweat, my heart pounding. The dream had felt incredibly real, a chilling premonition, perhaps. As the morning light filtered through the curtains, the symbol's image in my mind grew stronger, the dream's echo resonating within me. I knew then that I had to return to the bridge, the symbol, the unknown. Fear and anticipation gripped me, yet I couldn't deny the pull. An unspoken promise to Robert bound me to this journey, an adventure I had to complete for the both of us. With each passing moment, the past, present, and the uncanny unknown were becoming inextricably linked. Forest Glen was no longer just a park. It was a gateway to a hidden world, a chapter in my life I was yet to read. There was a sense of profound awe as I returned to the bridge, the weight of its significance settling into the deepest corners of my mind. The symbol, the guardian seal, was no longer a peculiar mark but a signpost in my newfound journey. Standing at the cusp of an unraveling mystery, I felt small, humbled, and electrified with anticipation. Touching the symbol again, it felt warmer, as if resonating with my touch. With a shuddering breath, I closed my eyes, picturing the symbol in my mind, recalling my dream. And then, without a conscious thought, I traced the guardian seal with my fingers. A sudden tremor shook the bridge, startling me. I staggered backward, my heart pounding. As the vibration subsided, a section of the handrail shifted, revealing a hidden cavity. Inside, there was a dusty, time-worn leather pouch. In a surge of exhilaration, I retrieved it, finding inside a collection of strange artifacts. An old brass compass, its needle restless and twitching, a weathered map with the park's layout, and a small, elaborately carved stone. The stone bore the same symbol, the guardian's seal. It felt heavier than its size, humming softly as if carrying an energy, a life of its own. The discoveries were thrilling, 
yet their purpose was unknown. They weren't just artifacts. They were tools left by the Guardians, and I was meant to use them. But how? Decoding the map was my first instinct. Laying it out on the wooden surface of the bridge, I traced the pathways and landmarks, some familiar, some not. There was a distinct route marked, winding through the heart of Forest Glen and ending at a location deep within the woods. Was this the path the Guardians had taken? Was this where the forest was holding its secret? With the map, compass, and the stone in my backpack, I began my journey. The forest was different from the ones in my memories. It was older, denser, more aware. Each rustling leaf, each chirping bird felt like a part of a grand narrative, watching my progress, guiding me, testing me. The path was strenuous, the terrain unfamiliar. Sweat trickled down my back as I maneuvered around fallen trees, crossed gurgling brooks, and trekked steep inclines. The compass needle was erratic, pointing me deeper into the wilderness. But with each passing moment, the stone's humming grew stronger, its resonance a steady reassurance, an unseen tether to my destination. As daylight faded, the nocturnal life of the forest awoke. Strange calls echoed through the trees, and the rustling of foliage signaled the creatures of the night beginning their dance. The moon, peeking through the canopy, cast long shadows that distorted the landscape into a realm of unknowns. Fear threatened to seep in, but Robert's words echoed in my head. Adventure is the test of courage in the face of the unknown. With a steady grip on the stone, I moved forward, my heart filled with resolve. In the distance, a faint glow started to emerge. As I approached, the stone in my hand glowed brighter. Was it responding to the forest, or was the forest responding to it? I felt the electricity of anticipation running through me. My every step was a journey back in time, a voyage into the heart of a forgotten tale. As the glow intensified, I knew I was nearing my destination. The secret of Forest Glen was about to be revealed. The path led me to a clearing, a hidden grove lit by a glow as ethereal as moonlight. The radiance emanated from an ancient tree, grander and older than any I had ever seen, situated at the center of the clearing. It was the heart of Forest Glen. The stone in my hand pulsated with energy as I neared it, its glow matching the rhythm of the radiant tree. Trepidation wavered with excitement in my veins. The sense of being at the heart of a hidden world was overwhelming. The tree towered above, bathed in a mysterious glow, its bark etched with the same symbol, the guardian's seal. The seal was larger here, its contours deep and clear, an emblem of a pact between mankind and nature. Taking a deep breath, I touched the symbol, the same way I did on the bridge. For a moment nothing happened, and a ripple of doubt seeped in. But then, the tree responded. It pulsed with light, the whole clearing illuminated by an ethereal glow. A hum filled the air, the same as the one that resonated from the stone, only much, much stronger. It felt like the tree was alive, conscious, and aware of my presence. It was as if the tree was speaking to me, its voice resonating in waves of light and energy. The stone in my hand vibrated, guiding my fingers over the symbol on the tree. Feeling empowered, I traced the guardian seal on the tree, the stone acting as a conduit. The ground beneath me trembled gently, a deep rumble echoing from within the earth. The tree blazed brighter, its light shooting skywards. Then, a section of its colossal trunk parted, revealing a hidden chamber. The chamber was a sacred place, filled with relics and remnants from a time long forgotten. There were carvings on the walls, 
intricate depictions of humans and nature living in harmony. There were ancient tools, garments, handwritten scrolls, and much more. But what caught my attention was a grand pedestal at the center, holding an ornate staff. Its craftsmanship was exquisite, with the guardian seal embedded at the top, glowing with a soft light. As I approached, I could sense the power the staff held. The stone in my hand was a key. The staff was a symbol of authority, and I, at that moment, was their destined bearer. Trembling with anticipation, I reached out and grasped the staff. A surge of energy pulsed through me. My senses heightened, my mind opened to the language of the forest, the whispers of the wind, the songs of the brook, the tales the tree had to tell. I was a guardian. I had the responsibility of protecting this sanctuary, preserving its secret, and ensuring the pact between humans and nature remains unbroken. Robert's words rang in my ears. Adventure isn't always about the unknown. Sometimes it's about finding the known and protecting it. This adventure was my purpose. The forest was my responsibility. The legacy of the Guardians was now mine to bear. Standing tall in the heart of Forest Glen, staff in hand, I felt a bond forming, not just with the tree, but with every leaf, every creature, every breath of air in the park. As the moonlight danced around me, the stone and staff hummed in harmony. I was ready to fulfill my role as the Guardian of Forest Glen. As the Guardian of Forest Glen, I was tasked with responsibilities that once seemed beyond my wildest dreams. Nightfall draped the park in a cloak of obscurity, but the forest came alive in a way I had never known. The staff in my hand guided me, its glow illuminating the path, as the nocturnal creatures of the forest came out to play their part in the nocturne of nature. My connection with the forest deepened. The rustling leaves spoke of secrets the wind carried. The burbling brook told tales of the journeys it had embarked on, and the hum of insects were like rhythmic symphonies echoing in the night. I was no longer an outsider. I was a part of the forest now, connected to it in a profound and personal way. The night bore witness to my first duty as a guardian. I had to help a young deer, stuck in a thicket, its doe eyes reflecting fear. I felt its anxiety resonate within me. Guided by the staff and my newfound understanding of nature, I managed to free it. The deer bolted into the forest, and I felt a sense of peace and fulfillment wash over me. This was my purpose. Time seemed to flow differently in the forest. Hours passed as minutes, and before I knew it, the moon was at its zenith. A sudden surge of energy pulsed through the staff, almost knocking me off balance. A spectral wolf appeared, its form composed entirely of soft, shimmering light. The wolf bore the same symbol on its forehead, the guardian seal. The spectral wolf led me to a hidden pond in the heart of the forest. The water shimmered under the moonlight, and as I approached, an image started forming on the water's surface. It was a vision, a glimpse into the past, a time when humans and nature lived in harmony, respecting one another. It was an idyllic scene of coexistence, where people bore the guardian seal, signifying their pledge to protect nature. The spectral wolf was my guide, a bridge between the past and the present, here to ensure I understood my responsibilities as a guardian. The visions it showed me were a testament to the important role guardians played and the urgent need for their return. This understanding filled me with determination, but it also burdened me with the reality of the present world. As the night gave way to dawn, I found myself back at the great tree, my heart filled with newfound knowledge and a sense of purpose. 
The night of awakening had not just made me aware of my responsibilities as a guardian, but it had also shown me the path I had to take. I understood now. My adventure wasn't just about protecting Forest Glen, it was about restoring the balance between humans and nature. I had to ensure that the pact made ages ago wasn't forgotten, that the Guardian Seal served as a reminder of the commitment humans had once made to nature. With the staff by my side and the seal as my guide, I was ready for the challenges the day would bring. The world needed to remember, and I, as the Guardian, had to remind them. My adventure was just beginning. The final days as the guardian of Forest Glen were nothing like I imagined. The tranquil calm of the forest was replaced by a haunting silence that unnerved me. The forest had always been a source of comfort, but now it seemed to be hiding a foreboding secret in its depths. The spectral wolf, my guide, had become ominously absent. I had come to depend on its wisdom, its guidance, but now in its silence I felt a growing sense of dread. That night as I wandered the forest, my staff's glow began to flicker, an anomaly that had never occurred. The pulse of energy from the staff felt weaker, somehow diluted. The whispers of the forest fell into an unnerving silence, and a chill breeze stirred, carrying a sense of foreboding. Suddenly a deep resonating growl echoed through the night. My heart pounded in my chest as I followed the sound, the staff guiding me. The glow from the staff cast long, distorted shadows that danced on the trees giving the forest an eerie, almost otherworldly appearance. I arrived at the clearing, the very heart of the forest where the great tree stood. The sight that met my eyes froze my blood. The great tree, once a symbol of life and resilience, was wilting, its leaves falling like mournful tears. The clearing, usually vibrant and full of life, was desolate, the only sound the creaking of the dying tree. And there, standing before the great tree, was the spectral wolf, its form flickering like an unstable flame. It bore a look of pure anguish, its ethereal eyes reflecting the tree's suffering. Suddenly, the spectral wolf started transforming, its light dimming. The transformation was not one of nature, but of an unnatural, menacing force. The once graceful form of the spectral wolf contorted into a terrifying, monstrous creature, its eyes blazing with an unholy fire. The creature roared, its deafening sound echoing through the forest, causing the ground beneath my feet to tremble. The staff in my hand pulsed erratically, the glow dwindling until it was barely a flicker. The seal on my arm ached, as if it too felt the corruption spreading through the forest. My knees buckled under the sight, fear constricting my heart. But even in my terror, I knew I was the guardian. I was the only one who could face this darkness this terrible perversion of nature. As the creature loomed over me, its monstrous form blotting out the moon, I held up my staff, the glow flickering defiantly. The creature roared, a guttural sound that shook the forest to its core. I felt a chill wash over me, a premonition of the trials that lay ahead. The battle had begun. The fight for the heart of Forest Glen was upon us, and the forest held its breath in terrified anticipation. The forest... The spectral wolf and I were now at the mercy of the growing darkness. The terror of the moment was overwhelming, but the resolve within me was stronger. I was the guardian. The terror of the night was just the beginning of my true journey. The darkness had ascended and now I had to face it. 